Oh, come on. I wish I could find five people that really love God today and would praise the Lord like you ain't got good sense. Woo. Come on, Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end. Uh, if I was with the old saints, they would say, he's the lily in the valley. He is the rose of Sharon. Talk to me, somebody. He's the balm in Gilead. He is my rock, my refuge, my help, and my hope. Huh. They would say things like, he is my shield and my buckler. Oh, y'all ain't saying nothing in here. We serve a good God, Amen. And I am so honored to be in this house. I want you to stand for just a moment because uh, I'm going to be standing all day. And I don't really have a reason for you to stand other than if you get to sit all day, I'm going to make you stand for two more minutes. That's, that's just how I am. I'm glad to be back in this house. Thank you so much for the invitation. I love your bishop and uh, the first lady of this house, First Lady Renee. They are awesome people. If you thank God that he has sent you uh, the best pastors on the planet, would you put your hands together and thank God? for your visionaries. Come on, thank God for your visionaries. Um, it's, it's always great to be invited one time, but it's a, it's a higher honor to ever be invited back somewhere. And I don't take that lightly. I believe that God is really doing something incredible in this house, and God has a phenomenal destiny for this place and I am trusting with you and believing with you that the best really is yet to come. It's not just cliche. It's not just something that, that is uh, cool or hip uh, or that we think we should say. Uh, trust me, I wouldn't be here if I didn't believe in what God is doing through your man of God and through you guys. And so I honor you and I celebrate you and I appreciate all that God is doing. You can be seated today and we're going to do a little bit of work here in the scriptures and uh, to uh, the sound. If you can give me a little bit more monitor, are these monitors hot? If you can't, can you fire them up and, and make them as hot as you want to? That's getting a little bit better already. Yeah, just give me, give me as much as, as I can stand and that will help me. That's perfect. God bless you. What's your name? Joshua. All right, turn it down just a tiny bit, Joshua. I like you already. My middle son's name is Joshua. And he's real mean. I don't know about you. But he's a good one. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to join me in the book of 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. How many of you love God and love church? I've been in church all my life. Um, my father uh, was a pastor. My grandfather was a pastor. And um, I grew up in the deep south on dirt roads and gravel roads and little bitty churches. And... Um, about once or twice a month after we would uh, finish up at our church, my dad would be invited to go to um, some other churches in the community. We spent most of our time uh, on those Sunday afternoons going into uh, little, little African-American churches. And um, he, would always ask, he would always ask us if we wanted to go. He wouldn't, we had to go to his church, but he didn't make us go to the other. So he would always ask us if we would want to go. And I remember as a little boy that um, uh, they would have like a 4 o'clock service. Now, when they said they was going to have a 4 o'clock service, they weren't going to start until about 6. But they, they would say at 4 o'clock. 
And uh, we would come into those little churches, and there wouldn't be anybody on the stage, and nobody was directing, and you would just come in, and you would sit down, and they would have what they call testimony service. Now, in our church, testimony service was when everybody got up and told lies on the devil about the trouble that they was really causing for themselves. And uh, we'd just go around the room and put everybody's business in the street in our testimony service. But in those little African-American churches, testimony service wasn't about jumping up and saying anything like that. Uh, you would sit there sometimes for five, ten minutes and nobody would say anything. And then somebody would just stand up and grab both hands on the back of the pew and they'd just start singing a song. And they would sing either a hymn or a song or something like that. And everybody would sing with them for a few moments and they'd just move on. And I used to love to go to this one little church that uh, my daddy would take us to because there was an old mother of the church there. Uh, and I don't know how old she was. I just know that she was old for real, like old. And her name was Mother Jackson. And uh, you would have to watch her because you didn't know if she was alive or dead in the service. That's how old she was. And she used to make me nervous because sometimes I'd be watching her and her eyes would close and it seemed like she, to me she wasn't breathing. And I'd get scared because the last thing I want to do is be around dead folk. And just as you think that uh, Mother Jackson was just about done, I would see her reach up and grab two hands on the back of the pew and she would bring herself up and she would stand up and she would sing the same little song every time that I was in that church and she would just open her mouth and say, I'm in love with Jesus. He's in love with me. I'm in love with Jesus. He's in love with me. I'm in love with Jesus. He's in love with me. I'm in love with Jesus. He's in love with me. Somebody say, I'm in love with Jesus. See how easy that is? He's in love with me. I'm in love with Jesus. He's in love with me. Oh, I'm you got it already. He's in love with me. I'm in love with Jesus. He's in love with me. Then she'd say, every day is sweeter than the day before. Every day is sweeter than the day before. Oh, every day. Look at y'all, I got a choir. Yeah. <laughs> then she'd say, he showers me with blessings all along the way. He showers me with blessings all along the way. Yes, he showers me. One more time. He showers me. And lift those hands one time and just help me say, I'm in love with Jesus. He's in love with me. I'm in love with Jesus. 
He's in love with me. Oh, I'm in love. He's in If you really love the Lord with all your heart, just open up your mouth and tell him right now how much you love him. Come on, somebody take 30 seconds and just love on Jesus in this room. We thank you, Lord, today. Awesome God. Awesome God. Thank you, Father. First Kings chapter 18. First Kings chapter 18. It's fairly familiar territory, but let's just read this. And I want to declare something in the room today that I have not been able to shake and get away from. I told Bishop yesterday uh, and this morning, there's a word in my heart that I believe is um, for this house at this particular moment in this season. Uh, I do believe, I think, uh, Dr. Lynn Hiles, one of my friends, was with you last Sunday and um, has an incredible revelation of the kingdom of God and the nowness of God and what God is doing in Kairos moments, those moments where the heavens are opened. It's not chronos. It's not the, the clock or the calendar. It's not something you can uh, put on your day planner, but it's when God just opens a window of opportunity and begins to speak and he begins to uh, pour his spirit out and his revelation for that particular moment. I believe that we are under an open heaven this morning because I believe that God uh, has sent me here not just to preach a sermon or a message, but to give you a word. And I believe for an impartation of life today for all of us in this house, I'm trusting that God is going to help us. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we'll run all the way down towards the end of that chapter and start reading at verse 41. 1 Kings 18, 41. Uh, I'm just going to read it to you out of the King James Version. I grew up on the King James Bible. Uh, I, I like all the translations, but, but uh, when, when I remember the scripture, I remember it King James. Amen? So that's how I grew up. And Elijah... Uh, said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went to the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth, put his face between his knees, and he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, go again seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, go up, say unto Ahab, prepare thy chariot and get thee down that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and winds and there was a great rain and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Uh, let's pray quickly and we're going to trust that God will help us preach for a few moments today. Amen. Father, would you help us today in Jesus' name? Amen. Um. If you were to be completely honest uh, about your life and where you are in your life, most of us that are in this room thought that we would be further than we are by now. Uh, most of us in this room, if you have any kind of vision, if you have any kind of foresight, if you have any kind of uh, prophetic uh, mindset at all, you are always forward thinking, meaning that you often find yourself in a place that you no longer fit. You find yourself 
surrounded by uh, people that you might not be able to identify with any longer. The same people that used to be your friends, one day all of a sudden you don't necessarily need them because you have moved on or you have matured. Uh, oftentimes when you begin to survey the landscape of your life, you will think that uh, by this time I thought that I would have owned my own home or I thought what I, I would have had the degree or I thought I would have been married by now or I thought I would have more money in the bank or I thought these kinds of things would have happened. I would have received the promotion. And it is part of human tendency and nature to have that kind of mindset because God teaches us to be people of vision. We are always looking forward to tomorrow, believing where God is going to take us. The reality is, is that sometimes life happens to us and you and I get stuck in ruts in particular places and we live beneath the privileges and the destiny that God has for us. And many times we are actually... Um, we, we, we are somewhat depressed even by our prophecies because we know we have a word from God. We know that God has spoken to us, but we have not yet been able to make tangible that thing that is invisible. The things that God has said, we are not yet experiencing. That's why the wisdom of Solomon would tell us that hope that is deferred makes the heart sick. The longer I have to wait for it, uh, the weaker I become. Talk to me, somebody in this room. And sometimes you have to understand that there is a process. Uh, oftentimes it seems that there is no method to the madness of God. You say, God, what are you doing? Why is it taking so long? Because I know I have a word from you. I know what you said to me. I know what you showed me. Yet I'm experiencing something that seems to be the reversal of what you told me my progress would be. And I get confused. I get weary in well-doing. I get tired of waiting. I'm not going to find no help in here on Sunday morning. I understand that I'll preach to me if I have to. Every now and then, I just wish that God would do what he said he was going to do. Every now and then, I'm ready to see in my reality what God has promised me. I want my prophecy to be practical. I'm tired of hoping. I'm tired of wishing. I'm tired of dreaming. I'm tired of looking for my tomorrow. I'm ready for God to do today what he told me he was going to do. I'm ready for God to move. I'm ready for my word to come to pass in my life. Talk to me, somebody. Amen. I was telling the, the staff yesterday, and by the way, I agree with Bishop, you guys have a phenomenal staff and you ought to be grateful what God has given you by way of leadership in this house. I celebrate these guys and they are awesome. I was telling them as I travel all over and God has graced to me to, to go around the world and, and see all kinds of different things, um, I'm surprised by something that I see that is not just uh, unique to American or Western culture. As I travel the globe, I find out that the two most archaic institutions that I enter as I travel are museums and churches. Museums are dedicated to preserving history. And they are addicted to preserving history. They want to celebrate what was. Hmm. Their whole purpose is to protect and to preserve what used to be. You can't go in any other 
uh, building in society that is so addicted to history other than a museum than a church. It's amazing to me that I still go into churches in 2013 that haven't had a renovation since the 1970s. I'm still surprised when I step many times in churches and I look at what people are wearing. It looks like you stepped out of GQ 1968. That we're still singing outdated songs. Talk to me, somebody. Still preaching outdated messages. Still doing things that we don't even know why we do them. Because we are addicted to our history. We are addicted to our traditions. We want to preserve the old way of things. Just try to change something in the church and, and watch some of the people who have, who have labeled certain things as holy. Watch them lose their minds. I remember when, when we, we, I grew up, I grew up singing out the hymn book and I know the hymn book, praise God. I know I'll fly away is page 333. I know victory in Jesus is 120. Don't mess with me, praise God, because if you want to get into a hymn war, I will wear you out. I promise you that. Amazing Grace is still on page 57 in my book. Amen. And so when we, when we started uh, moving away from the hymn book and, and, you know, the old days, we used to throw up a transparency and we would write it with a marker and we would show it up on the wall. And we had people that left my daddy's church because they couldn't get with that off the wall singing. Because all of a sudden we weren't doing uh, hymns all the time, but now we started doing what they used to call choruses. Now we call it praise and worship. And there were people who would, who would actually think that we were dishonoring God because we were, we were growing and we were accused of being worldly and we were accused of, of trying to stay in uh, with the times and being like everybody else. And it's really not about that at all. It's really an understanding that in order for the church to be relevant, we must be more than modern. Hmm. Oh, y'all ain't saying nothing. You see, the world is addicted to progress. The world is addicted to the latest and the greatest. Uh, there are people in this room that you're ashamed to break out your cell phone because you didn't have that joker for about three years and you pull out your little cell phone and, and uh, everybody starts laughing at you because we ain't seen one of them in so long. We want the latest and the greatest of everything. You go to Best Buy or you go to uh, Walmart or whatever, buy a laptop. By the time you get it home, it's obsolete because they're already coming out with the next big thing. And the world, the crack of the world is progress and change while the church sits up and is addicted to tradition. And, and, and in order for us to... Uh, really transform the society if that's what we believe we want to do. We have got to not only revolutionize the church, but we've got to bring the church back into a posture of relevance. We've got to understand that we are trying to evangelize the world that many times our setting makes no sense to them whatsoever. They can't identify with what we are doing because it is so foreign to their day-to-day -day that, that it's hard for them to grasp it. I've often been ashamed of the fact that many times, and you thank God you've got good music here, and Matt did a good job this morning. Matt, right? Yeah, did a good job this morning. But I've been in churches, man, that after they would get up and say, I was just ready for them to hush. 
because there was better quality that I heard externally in my car or from the world than I, than I heard what we are presenting to God. Uh, it just didn't seem to match up to me. And it's difficult to try to win the world if we don't make any sense. Uh, y'all ain't going to help me. It's all right. I'm going to preach my message anyway. What I'm trying to tell you is I believe, I believe as I survey the landscape of the church at large, I believe the church is too far behind the times. And I believe that you and I must not just become current, but we must become relevant. And in order for us to be relevant, we actually must be ahead of time. Here's the concept. I'll share this with you. I shared with him yesterday. Jesus was talking to his disciples one day, and he gave them a truth that is kind of interesting. He says to them, there are so many things, so many things things I would love to tell you, but you cannot bear them now. You can't handle what I'm going to tell you because uh, you're not ready for this level of truth. You have to have something that will help you filter and believe what I'm going to tell you because I am going to talk to you about things that in your mind, in your current posture, would seem too good to be true. And anytime you embrace truth as a lie, truth will not set you free unless it is truth for you. So you can come to the altar and you can be sick and I can say to you that God is going to heal you. But when I say God is going to heal you, if you believe that's a lie, even though what I said to you is true, it's a lie to you. Yeah? So Jesus says, I can't even tell you this truth because you're going to think it's a lie. And if you think it's a lie, it's not going to be able to make you free. However, when the spirit of truth comes, he's not going to do anything but testify of me. And the spirit of truth will begin to show you things to come. The ministry of Jesus was never about what's happening. The ministry of Jesus was always about what's coming. Jesus never preached about what was going on. He preached about what was about to happen. Even John the Baptist never preached a now message. He preached a coming message. Every time John the Baptist would preach, he would say, look, don't get too locked up on me because there's one coming around the corner that's mightier than I. I'm not even worthy to bend down and untie his shoes. And I'm going to baptize you in water. But as soon as he shows up, he'll baptize you with fire and the Holy Ghost. And and John would say, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, not right around the corner, but within reach. He would say There's a coming day. There's an emerging day. There's a tomorrow that's right here on the precipice. It's on the horizon. We've got to understand that we have got to stop preaching messages about what's happening. As long as we are preaching about what's happening, we are nothing more than news reporters. And people do not need the news. People need a revelation from heaven. They need a word from God. We need God to speak about my tomorrow. I need God to give me a word today that will change my next month, my next week, and my next next year. I'm not going to wait until I get to June to start praying about June. I'm going to stand flat footed in February and say, God, by the time June gets here, my calendar will be full. My bank account will increase. My body will be healed. My mind will be renewed. I wish I could find five people that would believe that God is not just the God of yesterday or today, but he is the God of forever. Somebody clap your hands and just shout yes. I already know what's happening. I can watch CNN to find out what's happening. I need somebody to stand up and declare that God is going to do this, this, and that. 
because they have been in the face of God. They have picked up on the heart of God. They know the mind of God and they have the word of God. And they can come from the heavens and tell me in the earth what God is about to do. The Holy Spirit comes to show me things that are coming. Same principle happens in Revelation chapter 4. John ascends in the first uh, few verses there. He comes up and when he comes up higher, the purpose of his coming higher is so that God can show him what's coming. Are you with me? Are you with me? In order for us to be relevant, we must have something that helps us catch up. God has a way of being able to compress time. Amen? Are you listening to me, Tabernacle? I believe that God has a way to compress time. If God can take a man, have that man stand in the earth, look up at the sun and say, don't move until this battle's over. Yeah? God is not governed by time. Your circumstances are not governed by time. You can be bound for 50 years and in one second God can set you free. Yeah? Because the things of God are not governed by clocks and calendars. The things of God are governed by truth and revelation. So the moment you understand a truth, you can, you can think all your life that you are destined to be poor. But the moment you get the revelation that God desires to bless me, the spirit of poverty is shattered and you'll never be broke another day in your life. Because in that moment, in that moment of revelation, now you know what the truth is. Huh. You see that there, there, every now and then, God begins to do some unique things. And I just want to say this right up front. I, I believe that God is able to do uh, quick, fast, and in a hurry what you are believing him to do. I wish I could feel some faith in here. Let me say that one more time. Let's try that again. I believe that God is able to do quick, fast, and in a hurry what you are believing God to do. Because some of you, like me, are tired of waiting and you're ready for God to do it. Talk to me, somebody. I believe that what would normally take you 10 years, God can do it in one year. I believe what would normally take you one year, God can do it in one month. I believe that what would take you one month, God can do it in one week. What would take one week, he can do it in one day. What would take one day, he can do it in one hour. What would take one hour, he can do it in one second. I believe that God can accelerate your destiny and move time for you so that you can get where you are going in your now no fail season. If you believe it with me, tabernacle, somebody say yes. Come on, say yes. And let me tell you my story uh, so that you'll understand where I am going with this. This is, a, this is an interesting uh, story that we're jumping in at the end of. It begins with uh, our friend, a prophet by the name of Elijah. And Elijah just basically comes to the place in his life where he is done with the current standard of the kingdom. Uh, Elijah's frustrated. He's fed up. 
And Elijah marches into the office of Ahab. And he says, look, uh, this is what's getting ready to happen in the kingdom for real. He said, there's not going to be any dew and there's not going to be any rain until I say so. Hmm. Now, you got to understand something. My man, he don't take no time to pray. He didn't fast. He didn't ask God if it was all right. Y'all ain't saying nothing. Elijah understood his authority in the earth. He understood that God had assigned him here as a magistrate on the earth. Elijah goes in without praying, without fasting, without seeking, without anything, and he announced to Ahab, it ain't going to rain until I say it can rain. I'm putting all of heaven on lockdown, and nothing is going to change until I say so. Oh, help me, Holy Ghost. I wish we had some real prophets in the earth again today that would understand that you have leverage with your voice, that you can open up your mouth and you can declare death or life, that you can say things and whatever you say has to be. I'm going to be blessed because I said so. I'm going to be prosperous because I said so. I'm going to be healed because I said so. My kids are going to live right because I said so. You, You see, that's the kind of house I grew up in. I didn't ask my mom. My mom and daddy told me to go to bed. I didn't ask them why. Because I learned as a little bitty kid that I did not want their answer. My dad didn't waste 15 minutes explaining to me, well, baby, it's dark outside now and it's about 9.15 and you need about seven hours of sleep. Statistics show that if you don't get this kind of sleep, then you're not going to be, no, because I said so. And if you ask me another dumb question, I'm coming at you with this belt. Get your butt in the bed. Can I go to spend the night at my friend's house? No. Why? Because I said so. His word ruled that house. Talk to me, somebody. He had authority. Talk to me, somebody. When he opened up his mouth, do you know the kind of authority that God has given you in the realm of the earth? Do you know that God has entrusted his voice in your life and that you can open up your mouth and declare the things of God and God will do what you ask him to do? Talk to me, somebody. You can even look into uh, places of your life that are isolated, empty, abstract, and you can look and you can call those things or not and speak as though they already were. And what you say with your word, God will create so that you can see it with your eyes because he's given you leverage in your voice in the earth. And Elijah said, it ain't going to rain because I said so. Then God jumps on this thing and God says, Elijah, watch, watch. You got to get this. God says, Elijah, baby, now you have committed me. I have got to do what you said. 
Y'all ain't saying nothing right there. You see, the real test of maturity is not when you can back up the word of God, but when God backs up your word. That's the real test of maturity. And God jumped up on that thing and said, Elijah, uh, this is a principle. And now I've got to do what you said because I've already established as a principle that whatever you bind on earth, I'm going to bind in heaven and whatever you loose on earth, I'm going to loose in heaven. And when you said it can't rain, I jumped on that thing with you, Elijah. And I said, it ain't going to rain. That's exactly right. Until you say, I wish we had people again that knew how to stand in the face of opposition and declare this is what God is saying and have God stand flat footed to back you up with his word. Elijah, you are about to become a victim of your own prophecy because now you have spoken it, it is going to be your reality. And God says to Elijah, I want to move you from here to a brook. I am going to sustain you there. Moving quickly because you know the story how that it, then Elijah moves to the brook Cherith and he spends time there and, and every morning and every evening the ravens bring him flesh and bread and he drinks from the waters of the brook while everybody else in the kingdom is suffering. While there is a drought and a famine God has a place for his people and he will sustain them in every negative season. May I tell you that I am not afraid uh, of this recession at all because I have sown some seed. I have paid my tithes. I am trusting in Jehovah. And even though I haven't had what they call a steady paycheck since June, I haven't missed a beat in my finances because God has provision for those that he loves and those that will do his work. I don't care if everybody on your block loses their job. God will take care of you. I don't care if everybody else is afraid. You need to stand in faith knowing that God is able. A thousand might fall at one side and ten thousand at your right hand but it shall not come nigh your dwelling. God has a place of provision for you. If you believe it, say yes. Elijah has been given a unique setting where God is literally sustaining him miraculously while everybody else is suffering. The issue then becomes that our understanding is that the brook is not his destiny. While the brook is a good place, while the brook is even a God place, it is not his ultimate place. Uh, but Elijah would be a fool to leave the brook knowing that there's a famine and a drought in the land. Why are you going to leave when you have room service morning and evening and you are well fed and well hydrated? It makes no sense. But because this is not his destiny, God then has to begin messing with his currency. 
Because anytime God gets ready to take you to your next level of faith, He always puts you in a place called limitation. That's got a real big amen right there. And so what God will do in order to move you from where you are to where you belong, God knows how to begin to dry up your resources on your current level. And God says, I know Elijah. And Elijah's going to stay right here and eat and drink all the days of his life and miss his moment if I don't cut off everything that I'm doing in this current place. Now, let me just stop right here, take a sidebar for one moment because there's about 15 people that need to approach the bench and let me tell you, you've been wondering why God is drying up the season of your life. It's because you have stayed where you are for too long and it's time for you to move to your next destiny, to the next place that God has for you. And that's the reason why God is messing with you right there where you are. I know you might not be able to figure it out and understand it, but whenever God gets ready to move you to the next level. He dries up the provision on your current level. God knows how to cut you off to get you to move. And whatever it takes to get you to move, one day you'll be grateful for it. You might not be comfortable now, but you will thank God later on down the road that he saw fit to put you in a place of limitation, stretching your faith to get you to your next place. The issue... The issue here is one that is progressive in the, in the life of Elijah because this next season is not about him, it's about others. This next season is not about him, it's about somebody else. You see, the reality is, is that if Elijah stays by the brook, there is a widow in Zarephath that her and her son are going to die. So somebody else's life is depending on him. Talk to me, somebody. Getting into his next place. Now, one of the reasons why this church has to move into its next season is because there are lives all over this community that are depending on you to get where God has called you to be. And you cannot afford to stay. What if Elijah had stayed by the brook just one more day? We don't have time to waste. People are dying, going to hell. People are staying lost. People are losing their homes, losing their jobs, losing their marriages, losing their minds. While we sit up and fight about ridiculous stuff in the church that keeps us where we are when God is trying to take us into our next season. God says this ain't about you, Elijah. I need to get you to a place because there's a widow that I have commanded to sustain you there. You've got an assignment to speak life to someone else. And you know the story. I'm moving quickly as I can. You know the story how that Elijah comes walking into Zarephath and he sees this woman. The Bible describes her as a woman who has two sticks in her hand. 
And as he sees her going, Elijah does something that is incredibly interesting to me. He asks this woman to give him the most valuable commodity on the planet at the time. He says, woman, would you give me just a little drink of water, I pray thee. He has asked her for the very thing that is sustaining life at this moment. It is a rarity. It is something that is precious. It is something that is preserved and protected. But this woman, in her mind, is about to die. Anytime you think you're about to die, you start giving away things that are precious. So she has no issue with getting him just a little drink of water because after all, she has compassion. She knows he's thirsty. She's willing to give him a drink. The moment he sees that she will respond to his word, as she starts to walk and he says, oh, by the way, while you're going, I want you to bake me a cake. Now, this is her, uh, have you lost your mind moment. Because this has the ability to paralyze her when the water did not. And she spins around and she said, I don't know, uh, perhaps you didn't get a text. Maybe you didn't see it on CNN. I don't know what's going on with you, but if you've not noticed, there's a famine in the land. And everybody is starving Everybody is dying, and I don't really have a cake to bake for you. As a matter of fact, and you'll see how small her vision is because you'll see how small the fire... You can't build a very big fire with two sticks. She just needs a little bit of fire because all she has is just a little bit of life. And she says to him, I am on my way to build a fire and to bake a cake for me and my son." And then this is her prophetic declaration of the destiny of her life. We are going to eat it and we are going to die. And Elijah said, well, that's one option. That's one faith portrait, but let me paint a different one for you. If you will trust me, because this whole lockdown, this whole drought, this whole famine, that's on me. I shut the whole thing down. If you will trust me, this is what I want you to do. I want you to bake me a cake first. Ay, 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 help me, Holy Ghost. Bake me a cake, the audacity of a preacher who has been eating and drinking while everyone else is starving, the audacity of this man to come to this woman and say, put me first. Oh, help me, Jesus. Why? Because he is the voice of God. He can change her situation with one word. He's teaching her a principle. The principle is that if you will put God first, you will never 
die. If you put God first, you will never reach the bottom of the barrel. If you put God first, you will always find resources. He's telling her, put me first. Oh, help me, Jesus. That's why you ought to be a tither. And that's why you ought to pay your tithe first. You ought to pay your tithe before you pay your mortgage. You ought to pay your tithe before you pay your, your Sears bill. You ought to pay your tithe before you pay your car note. Because God is jealous. He wants to be first. First, coming before all others. Romans 11 says, if the first, first, if the first portion of dough offered is holy, the whole batch is holy. I pastored a church for 17 years. 17 years. They knew, they knew when they started writing checks, before they paid anything, they paid me first. Y'all ain't saying nothing. Don't you pay nobody till you pay me. Y'all ain't saying nothing. I'm the voice of God in this house. Pay me first. I'm plowing, I'm working, praying for you, laboring over, casting devils out of your life. Pay me first. Why? Because I need authority. You walk up here with your crazy kids, I need to be able to look at them and command in the name of Jesus that something is about to change. I can't do nothing if you put me last. I can move heaven if you put me first. Talk to me in this room. Jesus, help me, Holy Ghost. It is a principle in the word of God. He said to her, make mine first. And when you do, you will not run out of provision. And the Bible declares that God once again jumped on Elijah's words and said, you know what? Every time she sticks the scoop in the barrel, she's going to come up with some meal. Every time she grabs the bottle, oil is going to... I I feel the Holy Ghost in here. I'm telling you, if you just learn to put God first in your life, you'll be amazed at what he will do for you. I got to move on with my story. Uh, Fast forwarding to where we we were. So he, he, he transcends this particular season, this particular place. And now we find Elijah at uh, the, the classic showdown in the scripture. It is the battle between God and the prophets of Baal. And you know the story how that they found themselves there at Mount Carmel. And Ahab, for whatever reason, society has still not awakened to the reality that there is only one true and living God. They have still, even in famine, even experiencing the legitimacy of Elijah's words, they still are questioning who the real authentic God is. Elijah finally says, why don't we just have a God showdown? And let's let the real God show up. And if that's your God, I'll serve him. But if my God wins, come on, jump on board with me. I don't care. I just say, why don't we 
let this thing come down to a true uh, dispensation of power. And let's let the God that answers by fire, let's let that God be God. And so Elijah steps back and says, I'm going to give you all the first opportunity. You go first. Do whatever you got to do and call on your God. And you know the story is how that they begin to, all the prophets of Baal, they begin to pray. They begin to sing and chant and dance. They begin to do all the things that they were doing. And Elijah uh, is just basically sitting back watching the show. Every now and then, because prophetic uh, ministry is often antagonistic, every now and then Elijah will step up on the scene and just kind of mess with them in their moment. So Elijah will show up and he will say, Hey, um, I see that y'all ain't got no fire yet. Y'all out here screaming and carrying on and acting crazy. Uh, Maybe your God is asleep. And he can't hear you. Perhaps you should scream a little louder, and they would scream a little louder. Then he would come back and he would say, well, maybe your God is on holiday or on vacation. Maybe he's not going to be back for a while. Do you need more time? And they would carry on a little more. One translation, Elijah actually says to them, perhaps your God is being excused in the restroom." Maybe he can't get to you right now because he's preoccupied. And they scream a little louder to the point that they work themselves into a frenzy. Now they are slicing themselves, cutting themselves until the blood is gushing out and they are doing everything in their power to get their God to answer. This goes on all the way up until the time of the evening sacrifice. And Elijah says, you've had all day for your God to answer. Now give me an opportunity. The story goes that the first thing that Elijah does is he rebuilds the altar. He takes 12 stones representing the 12 tribes, the government of God. And he puts this whole thing back together. He says, if we're going to get anything from heaven, we're going to have to have some government. We're going to have to have some structure. We're going to have to rebuild the altar." Elijah rebuilds the altar, and then he does something that further interests me. Once again, he asked them for the most precious commodity on the planet. Now, clearly, this man is obsessed with water because he's done shut rain down. He's drinking from a brook. He's asking lady for a cup. And now he asked the prophets of Baal to bring me Theologians say, all the water that you have. Meaning that he is asking them to pour out all of their supply. And he digs a trench and they soak the sacrifice there on the altar. And for the first time in our story, Elijah prays. He steps back. And this is the kind of prayer that Elijah prays. This is the essence of his prayer. He basically says, God, there's a whole lot of questions out there to whether or not you're real. These people have been acting crazy, losing their mind all day long. 
They haven't woken up to the fact that there's a famine. They still have not embraced the fact that you are the one and the true living God. Now, here's the deal, God. I'm going to need you to show up, and I'm going to need you to show up right now, and I'm going to need you to show up with fire. I know I've poured water all over this altar, and I know in the natural, y'all ain't hearing me. I know in the natural that this looks like it's impossible. But God, here's the situation. If you don't show up by fire, it ain't going to make me look bad. It's going to make you look bad. Y'all ain't saying nothing. I'm going to need you to move because I done put your name on this thing. I've already, your reputation, y'all ain't saying nothing. Your reputation is at stake. I've told people that you're able to deliver them. Now I need you to show up and deliver. I've told people that you're able to bless them. I need you to show up and bless them. I've told people that you're a healer. I need you to come in this room as a healer. I've told people that you can fix their heart and fix their mind. Now I need you to show up and do it because your name is on the line. Your reputation is at stake. I've already put you out there like that. I'm going to need you to move. If we would pray that kind of prayer again, it would revolutionize our world because God is hungry to display his power. The eyes of the Lord are roaming to and fro all over the earth looking for someone that he can show himself strong on their behalf. I say, God, look for me. Here I am right here. If you want to give somebody a miracle, give me a miracle. If you want to heal somebody, heal me. If you want to bless somebody, bless me. If you want to use somebody, use me. God is desperate to move by his power. He's desperate to display his authority. God is ready to blow our mind again. We've got to have the faith of Elijah that says, God, if you don't do it, you're going to look awful bad. And at the end of that prayer, in spite of the odds that are stacked against the situation, defying all logic, making no sense whatsoever, fire of God falls from the heavens, consumes the sacrifice, and the Bible makes it clear that it drinks up every bit of the water that's there on the altar. As far as we can tell, there is no water that's left. Gone. God speaks to Elijah and says, you locked it up? It's time to release it. You bound it. It's time to loose it. Because you have both in your leverage of authority. Mm. Hmm. Mm, I can either set you free or I can shut you down. Y'all ain't saying nothing. Oh, help me, Jesus. He says, Elijah, you shut the whole thing down, but now it's time for it to rain again. By the end of our story, all the prophets of Baal have been killed and we find three people, it seems to me three people are here on the mountaintop. Elijah, Ahab, and Elijah's servant. Elijah looks over at Ahab and he says, Bud, you might want to get up and Get dressed and get you something to eat. Because it's getting ready to rain for real. 
This ain't going to be no normal natural rain. This is the kind of rain that's going to shut everything down. And if you don't get moving right now, you're going to be in trouble in just a moment. Have you ever been driving down the interstate and it was raining so bad that you had to pull over? I'm talking about that kind of rain. The only water that's left is the little drink of water that he got from the woman that he had put in his mouth. So he took what he had put in his mouth, opened up and spoke, and he said this. He said, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. I hear that it's getting ready to rain. I don't know what you hear, but I hear rain coming. Matt, can you help me for just a minute? Would you mind? Come help me for just a minute. You, I'm going to be Elijah because I feel more like a prophet than you do. And you're going to be the servant. And this, this right here is a mountain. You ain't got but a three, four-step mountain, so it ain't that big of a deal. So Elijah says to his servant, uh, it's getting ready to rain. Uh, can you go up to the top of the mountain, look out towards the sea, and tell me what you see? So, so he went up, and, and then he came back down. Come, come on, quick. You ain't got all day. Praise God. And he says, what did you see? Uh, okay, what did you see in the sky? That's the answer. That's the answer. I don't see nothing. There's nothing there. So he says, he says again, now, wait a second. Are you sure? Go look again. So he goes again, and he comes back down. What do you see? Nothing. Now, hold on now. I heard the sound of rain. But you're telling me there's no evidence that rain is coming. Uh, this is the third time, but can you go check again? You come back down. What do you see? Nothing. Nothing. You, you, you sit down. You, you got my point, right? Third time he goes, comes back, I don't see anything. Oh, okay, I need you to look again. So he goes the fourth time, he comes back, I see nothing. Now, wait a second. I've done sent you four times, and you still can't see what I'm saying. I know what I heard. I know what I heard, and I heard rain. But I'm not about to change my prophecy just because you cannot see what I'm saying. I came to tell you that God is raising up a generation of pastors that will not change their message just because you don't see what they're saying. I'm going to keep preaching that it's getting ready to rain. I don't care how many times you run to the mountain and say there's nothing there. I am not going to move off of the word. I know what I heard. So he says, go again the fifth time. He comes back the fifth time. There's nothing there. Go the sixth time. There's nothing there. Just because other people can't see it don't mean you shouldn't say it. Your family might never be able to see you blessed, but every time you get around them, you tell them, God told me he's about to bless me. 
And they might look at you because they know you. They might know your resume. They might know your history. They might think that you're a failure. But you keep prophesying. I know what God told me. And I'm not going to change my prophecy just because you can't believe it. I don't need you to believe it. I know what God said to me. And God is going to do what he said he was going to do whether you can see it or not. Help me, Holy Ghost. Because the last time I checked, faith comes by hearing and not by seeing. I ain't got to see nothing to know that God's about to do it. I ain't got to see it to know that it's going to happen. I have heard a word from God, and I know that God is true and faithful to his word. The last time I checked, we still walk by faith and not by sight. I'm not going by what I see. Because if I look in the natural, I see half of this building empty. But if I look through the eyes of the Spirit, I see standing room only. Talk to me, somebody in this place. You can't call it like you got to see it. You got to call it like God said it. And if God said he's going to fill this house, I'll preach like we need a balcony or an overflow. I'll preach until we have to have multiple services. Just because you can't see it don't mean I'm going to shut up. I'm going to preach it until it happens because I know what I heard. I done preached myself tired. I got to sit down. I'm not going to change my message because you can't see it. I'm going to keep saying what I heard because I know what I heard. I'm not moving away from what I heard. I'm I'm not coming off of it. You can't make me. Turn loose of what God told me. You see, because I need what he said more than I need you. If I can believe it, God can do it. I don't have to have your faith to get my miracle. God told me, and what God told me, he's going to do what he said. Because God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. He's committed to his word, leveraged his word, magnified his word, even above his name. He's going to do it. 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 He's going to fill this house. He's going to send you to standing room only. He's going to force you into overflow or multiple services. God's going to do what he said he was going to do. If you can see it or not, just keep looking. Keep looking. Because on the seventh time, watch now. I I love this. I get to hurry. I know I got to quit. On the seventh time, Bishop, the servant, finally came back. And this is his, his report. Oh, servant full of faith. Well, dear brother Elijah, we finally see a little something there. But it ain't nowhere near what you said. You said that there was coming a frog strangler. You said it was getting ready to rain for real. You done told Ahab. You have announced to the powers and principalities Ahab, you have announced to the spirit of control in the earth. You have spoken to Ahab and you told Ahab, you better get up and get moving because my word is about to come to pass. And the servant says to Elijah, it's not quite what you were believing for, man of God. There's just a small cloud there rising up out of the sea about the size 
of a man's hand. It does not look like what I currently see is able to produce what you said. But never despise the day of small beginnings. You see, there are some people that will see you right now where you are and they don't know the greatness that's locked up on the inside of you. When the servant saw the cloud, he didn't know the potential that was hidden in the cloud. My mama used to tell me that dynamite comes in small packages. And you've got to understand that just because you might see only the trickle effects of the prophecy right now, you can't step back and say, well, that's nothing like he said. There is a sound from heaven and there is a day coming where you will see with your eyes that God is able to do what he said he would do because God has the ability to take small things and do great things with them. God said just give me your faith like the size of a mustard seed and if you work that it'll grow bigger than anything in the kingdom. Talk to me somebody. You might not look like much right now. You might be small in the eyes of your community. You might be small in the eyes of your family. You might be small in your own eyes. But God has deposited his greatness on the inside of you. And it's not what you look like on the outside. It's what God has put on the inside that matters. It's just a small cloud. But Elijah said, you know what? That's all I need. That's all I need. All I need is just one sign, God, that you're still going to do what you said you would do. I don't need fireworks. I don't need grand parades. Just give me the small cloud. I'll take that. I'll take that because I know what you can do with small things, insignificant things. I know what you can do. And Elijah looks at Ahab. And said, babe, you better settle up and ride for real. Because it's going to rain. And the story goes, chronologically in the scripture, the story says that Ahab saddles up his chariot, jumps in the chariot with a horse, and begins to ride. Chronologically, he leaves before Elijah. Not only does he leave before Elijah, but in the natural, he has a distinct advantage. Because the purpose of the horse and the chariot is to get me to a place faster than my feet. The reason why the chariot was designed and created was because men wanted to compress the time that it would take them from, are you hearing me, Uh, getting from one place to another. And so they no longer had the luxury to take a three-day journey. Now they can do it in one because they've got a horse and a chariot. So not only does Ahab leave, Ahead, before, in advance. But he also leaves with an advantage. He has a horse and he has a chariot. Oh, but I love, I love what happens next. Because my Bible says that the hand of the Lord, whew, 
My God, that changes everything. Ay, 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 ay. Yeah, when the hand of the Lord comes on you, my God, I don't care who lives ahead of you. I don't care who has an advantage over you. When the hand of the Lord comes upon you, something is about to accelerate in your destiny. The Bible says that the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah. And the man that was running with natural speed in one moment, all of a sudden felt the hand of God pushing him in his back. And Elijah had to pick up his garments and he started running like he had lost his mind. He was running like he had never ran before. The next thing he knows, he looks out the corner of his eye and he's passing Ahab and the horse and the chariot. And the next thing we know, he arrives at the gates. The Bible says he arrives at the gates of Jezreel before Ahab meeting that he outran. Are you listening to me? He outran the very thing that used to outrun him. God miraculously compressed time so that a man who was behind at a disadvantage, y'all ain't saying nothing, all of a sudden not just catches up, but passes. I don't know about you, but the last time I checked, we still win the race. I don't know about you, but the last time I checked, we still reached the finish line first. I don't know about you, but the last time I checked, the earth was still the Lord's, not the devil's and the fullness thereof. The last time I checked, I believe God's still going to win this thing. And it might seem like the world is ahead of us right now. It might seem that they have uh, uh, left before us and they have a distinct advantage, but everything is about to change because the hand of the Lord is about to come upon us and God is about to start pushing us in our back and God is about to accelerate our destiny and God is about to cause us to reach the city first. Why? 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 Because it matters. Jimmy, it matters who reaches the gates of the city first. It matters. Because when you're getting ready to change the city, you've got to arrive at the gate and you've got to speak a word into the city at the gate. And whoever gets the, to the gate first has prophetic leverage. And as long as the world keeps getting to the city first, y'all ain't saying nothing, they're going to have the leverage. But when the hand of God comes on us and we see a move of God and we stand at the gates of the city and the spiritual and we begin to speak that lives are going to change, we begin to speak that jobs are going to come, we begin to declare that money is flowing in, we begin to say no cancer in this entire territory, when we begin to say no divorce, talk to me somebody, no murders, no suicide, no accidents, talk to me somebody in this. When we stand at the gates of the city with the hand of God upon us, we can prophesy to the city and declare life and God will back up our word. Stand with me, stand with me, stand with me. Everybody in the building, stand with me. Oh God, help me Jesus. 
I said everything that I said to you today to say something that I believe is incredibly prophetic for the moment that we're standing in. And I want to declare over us both individually and collectively, uniquely in your situation, corporately as a house, that God is about to put his hand on us again. And that we are about to receive the spirit or the anointing for acceleration. And what would have taken us 10 years is only going to take us one. Help me, Holy Ghost. What would have taken us an entire year, God's going to do it in one month. Y'all help me now. I need to feel some faith right here. What would have taken me one month, God's going to do that thing, Bishop, in one week. One week, one week, God's going to turn it around. What would have taken me one week, God's going to do it in a day, in a day, in a day, in a day, in a day. One day, one day, one day. And what would have taken me one day, God's going to do it in an hour. Just like that, just like, come on, believe with me, believe with me, believe with me. I need to feel some faith in here right now because God can cause you to go from 200 to 600 in a year. God can cause you to have to add services in six months' time. God can cause you to catch up and accelerate and what would have normally taken you a long time to turn it around, God can do it if his hand comes upon you and he accelerates your destiny. I'm speaking over every life in here. Those of you that have things locked up in legalities, those of you that have things held up in court systems, those of you that are fighting against time because you know something is supposed to happen for you and it has not happened, I'm declaring that by the end of this week you'll find a turnaround. I wish I could find some faith right there because I'm telling you God is about to accelerate that for you. Some of you, the, the, the doctors have told you it's going to take you about six months to a year to recover. I say the devil is a liar. I say God's about to do a new thing right now, right now. That God is about to, if, 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 if you have had a natural word from a natural doctor that has told you it's going to take you a long time to recover, lift your hands right now. Let me just prophesy. In the name of Jesus, I defy every natural prophecy and I use the leverage of the Spirit of God and the heavens to declare that there is coming an anointing upon you now that would accelerate your healing and that your healing shall spring forth speedily in the name of Jesus your youth shall be renewed like the eagle and I declare that it is so and I declare that it is now in Jesus name if you receive that by faith give God a shout of praise how many of you have things that are held up how many of you have things that are held up? Talk to me. Come on, somebody. How many of you have prophecies that you've been waiting a long time for God? Where are you? Just three of us? I'm preaching to me. I need some things to happen quick. Quick, quick, quick. I don't have time to waste. I'm not waiting five years. I'm not waiting five years. I made up my mind. I'm not asking God when, I'm telling God now. Oh, help me, Jesus. Talk to me. Come on. Faith. Faith. Faith is not just about asking. Faith is about declaring. Faith is about committing God to his word. God, you said. I'm not making this up, God. You said. 
that if I give, it would be given back to me. Now, I need you to do it or you're going to look bad. Uh, y'all, 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 I'm talking about some faith. Faith. You've got to have faith. I heard Kenneth Copeland on a, on a cassette tape when, when we used to have cassette tapes. And he said in the early days, Bishop, he said in the early days, he said, I, I used to pray like this. And he said, he said, God, if you will show up and bless these meetings, I'll tell everybody who did it. But if you don't, I'm going to tell them who didn't do it. Now, that takes a little bit of faith to talk to God like that. But that's the kind of faith that Moses had. When God came to Moses, God said, I'm going to kill this whole church and give you a new congregation. Moses stood up and said, no, no, you're not. Y'all ain't saying nothing. Y'all, y'all so scared of God. You think he's against you. God's for you. God wants you to remind him of his word. God says, test me, try me, prove me. See if I won't be God. Have enough faith to stand up and say, God, this is what your word says. Now I need you to do it. We're declaring 500 people by next year in this house. We're declaring 500 people. And God, we need you to do it. We need you to accelerate our destiny. We need people to come from the north, the south, the east, and the west. Send those that are saved. Send those that are lost. Send the crackhead. Send the drug addict. Send the black. Send the white. Send the Latino. Send anybody you want to send. No matter how mixed up or messed up they are, send them here. Let God sort it out. Lift your hands, everybody in the building. I'm going to pray and I'm going to get up out of your way. I preach till I'm sweating through my suit. Father, for the bishop of this house, the first lady, Renee, Bishop Matthews and this staff and this church family, for the tabernacle of praise standing right here, you know exactly where I am. You know exactly who I am. You know why you sent me today. Father, I release an anointing for accelerated destiny in this place. Everything that has been held up, everything that has been delayed, just because it's been delayed, it has not been denied. You will do what you said you would do. Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking you to defy the logic of time. I'm asking you to compress it, and I'm asking you to do a new thing and a quick thing now. As we are quickly approaching spring in the natural, I declare spring in the spirit that this place is about to leap forward by faith, both individually and collectively. I declare promotions to come now, for increase to come now, for healing to come now, for blessing to come now, for breakthrough to come now, for growth to come now, deliverance to come now, 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 now. This is our moment. This is our time. We are not waiting another day. This is our hour. You come and visit us, inhabit this place with your presence and do something now. Every home now, every every prophecy now, every promise now in the name of Jesus. If you believe that God is able, take 30 seconds, clap your hands, open up your mouth and give God some praise for real in this house. Come on, everybody, everybody. Come on, everybody. Everybody.